0: Probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%.
1: Projection. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population
0: infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is...
1: Zachary T. Owen. I am a uh, small press horror writer, and you can find my work on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, etc.,
0: so, yeah, and we'll have, uh, for all the episodes for this week that have been up, we'll have uh, links to to your stuff on, on Amazon and everything, so people can definitely go out and check those out and and, and buy them, I hope.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, so today we're talking about Minute 105 of the thing, so we're inching ever closer to the very end of the movie. Minute 105 begins with Albert Whitlock's credit and ends with assistant trainer James Colovin. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so in this... Uh, in this set of credits, we start with um, uh, casting. which is by somebody named Anita Dan, who is, I think, the first woman to show up in the credits for the movie. Um, I think there's only a couple throughout the entire credits, but yeah, she's the first one.
1: Now, has she uh, done a lot of work outside of this?
0: Not a ton. Her her IMDb list was not super long. Um, and the only thing on there that I think I recognized was uh, Heart Beeps, which... Um, I think I haven't seen it, but I know a lot of I've heard some people talking about it, that it I it, think it's like a robot uh, romantic comedy <laughs> um, from 81.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one.
0: So, yeah, I think it's like two robot uh, servants like go on the run uh, from their masters or something like that. But um, I really like the fact that I like to think that John Carpenter saw Heart Beeps and he's like, <laughs> that's who I want casting my paranoid horror movie. <laughs>
1: He just thought this, uh, whoever casted this did a perfect job. And then he just looked her up.
0: Yeah. I mean, those robots were fantastic in that, in their roles. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Interesting. I'm not sure. I I would guess that probably came from the studio more than anything else.
1: Um, yeah, I, I would say so,
0: but who knows? Uh, and then we have a set decorator, John Dwyer, who did, uh, did some other pretty cool stuff. Um, he worked on uh, Terminator 2 and Star Trek The Original Series and Jaws, who um, we'll see uh, a lot of people on on today's uh, credits have worked on some of those same movies. So see some of that stuff come up uh, in a couple spots. But that's uh, pretty interesting. I'd like to see if there were any uh, any parts of the set, any props that are carried over from this movie into like
1: Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would make sense.
0: Yeah, because that w- wouldn't have been – that was – well, Terminator 2 was, like, what was that, early? Is that, like, 90, 91, maybe? Uh,
1: I s- want to say it's 1992. Yeah, that that's,
0: that sounds right. So, yeah, he might might have still had some stuff uh, in storage from the thing. Who knows? That's uh, That same screen, we also get uh, special effects by Roy Arbogast, who, yeah, it's interesting to see that, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't gotten to uh, Rob Bottin's credits, but all that stuff is under makeup effects. Um, and the special effects is more like the... Uh, the explosions and stuff—it sounds like—and some of the mechanical stuff that they made, uh, because that's what Roy Arbogast mainly does. He—he's um, probably most famous for being—he's the one who created the shark in Jaws, uh, which is pretty cool. And I think I, when I was looking it up, I saw some articles that I think he recently just like it's still intact, and I think he just sold it. Um, wow, which is kind of interesting. That'd be a pretty cool thing to own. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would I would put it somewhere that uh it would terrify the most people.
0: Yes, like right above your front door or something. So Some people yeah, walk up, it exactly. starts chomping. <laughs> <laughs> um he also uh he worked a lot with John Carpenter. Um he worked on Escape from New York before this and then continued after this to work on, with him on um Christine and They Live, uh Starman and Village of the Damned. So he was definitely one of the the Carpenter regulars. Um so And yeah, I think the, the main piece of trivia I had about Roy Arbogast was that he, uh, he was at odds with Rob Bottin through most of the movie, which is pretty interesting. It's interesting that the movie turned out so well, given that the, the, the main special effects guy and the makeup effects guy were kind of at odds with each other the whole time.
1: Um, is there any information on uh, what caused the rift?
0: I know the main thing was that Rob Bottin, in addition to doing all of the special effects, all the makeup effects, he, um, he wanted to play a character. He, he wanted to be Palmer.
1: Oh wow. And, I um, didn't know that.
0: Roy Arbogast thought that was insane because he knew how much work they were going to have on the makeup effects which he was right about yeah. that they you know they ran yeah, way over absolutely. budget. absolutely. Um that he wouldn't have time and Arbogast actually threatened to leave the movie if John Carpenter let him play Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty interesting. I guess it, uh, it came off of um that Botine played uh, played somebody in uh The Fog. And So maybe had a little bit of an acting bug or something. I'm not sure. But uh yeah so that was the, that was the main thing I had about Roy Arbogast but he's he's done all kinds of cool stuff he's got a great IMDb list of uh, of movies and and a pretty long career with Carpenter too. And the next up is uh uh some of the camera department so we've camera operator Raymond Stella who um the main thing I had about him uh was that uh he was the, every time they do a, a shot in the arm or, or drawing blood in this movie, that's his arm. <laughs> um, <laughs> for whatever reason, he volunteered anytime they had to use a needle. He was, he was cool with it. So
1: maybe that was uh, secretly something he enjoyed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe there was something else <laughs> going on there behind the scenes, but he, he also had a, a pretty long career and, uh, has done some o- a camera operator on some awesome stuff. Um, escape from New York, uh, halloween one two and three big trouble in little china he's camera operator for all three backs of future movies and for jurassic park
1: wow that's a pretty good filmography yeah
0: it seems like this movie's got a a fair amount of crossover with early steven spielberg stuff too which is kind of neat yeah so he's done a lot a lot of cool stuff and uh yeah and on that same screen we also get first assistant cameraman second assistant cameraman and the assistant film editors and i was hoping to find some interesting stuff about them but i couldn't really um I was hoping it's it's kind of interesting to look at credits of people in those kind of positions to see if they ever were able to use that like assistant position to climb up to something bigger. And most of the time it's really
1: depressing. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's a bit of a downer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like it's, I don't think it usually works the way it's supposed to, where it's like, yeah, you go from assistant, second assistant cameraman to first assistant cameraman to cameraman to, you know, um, cinematographer, director of photography. And usually it's like, these guys who have first assistant camera for like forty years.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I mean, it's just like with uh, internships; a lot of those don't really materialize into another job. It's just like you go and you do it, and it, it isn't great, and then that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really. Uh, there's no ladder that you climb.
0: Yeah, there's there's there's, there's got to be a reason why everybody's not a director. So <laughs> yeah the world needs assistant film editors. It's true. (laughs) The, uh, and then the next screen, the last screen for uh, this one is, uh, the, the sound, most of the sound department, which, um, being a sound guy myself was, was I had particular interest in. So the, uh, production sound person is, uh, Thomas Causey who had a pretty interesting career. His basically seemed like one of his first movies was Halloween as a sound mixer. And, um, Seems like after that he really got attached to John Carpenter and did pretty much every John Carpenter movie all the way up through Escape from LA. So he was the guy on set recording for basically all these Carpenter movies that we know and love, which is kind of neat to think about.
1: Yeah, that's basically the golden period of uh, Carpenter's career.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And then, uh, but he's uh, he's had just a huge career too. He's done t- tons and tons and tons of movies. Um, the only other thing that it seemed like he had a uh, recurring job with is uh he worked on a lot of recent adam sandler movies which is about as, <laughs> about as far from john carpenter as you can get
1: i mean he's an auteur just like john carpenter <laughs>
0: yeah just like john carpenter <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're pretty similar those two and uh thomas causey was nominated for an oscar for his sound work on uh, dick tracy um but yeah he's got hundreds of credits so definitely a, a pretty long career uh, and then we get the supervising sound editors, David Lewis Udall and Colin C. I, don't, I still don't know how to say this guy's last name. Muat. It's M-O-U-A-T. Mott. I don't know. But yeah, those two uh, had uh, tons and tons of credits to their names. And uh, David Udall, I've mentioned a lot through the show as being uh, somebody I admired because he he actually wrote the the first sound textbook that I ever used in college. And he he just recently passed away this year, I think actually just a couple of months back. But um. Yeah, he has has had a huge impact on sound in movies, in particular for genre and horror movies. Um, David Udall worked on uh, Piranha, Escape from New York, Halloween 2 and 3, The Dead Zone, Christine, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, um, Evil Dead 2, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, um, Return of the Living Dead 3, and Jackie Brown, uh, among many, many others. So pretty pretty interesting career to get to work with, you know, Guys like John Carpenter and David Cronenberg, and uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, that's like uh, the who's who of uh, genre filmmaking. I mean, Quentin Tarantino doesn't quite fit into that category, but
0: yeah, but yeah, he definitely. It seems like uh, you know some of the the sound effects that kind of permeate the horror genre, especially in the '80s and '90s. Um, Probably owe a lot to uh, to David Udall's work. He he kind of laid a lot of that groundwork. Um, and then Colin Muat, the other guy, um, he did uh, some interesting stuff like uh, the Thin Blue Line, which one of my all time favorite documentaries was one of his first credits. And then um, he also worked on Jaws again and uh, Halloween three. So yeah, it seems like a lot a lot of these guys, a fair amount worked on um, Jaws and some other early Steven Spielberg stuff. But Halloween two and three seem to be the other place where a lot of these crew members either came from or went to after the thing, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, and then the sound re-recording mixers, who are the guys who uh, you know put together the final mixes for the movie uh, based on the work of everybody else. Um, there are three of them that get credited here. And between the three, uh, they have uh, basically done every movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to name name a few that I wrote down. Uh, Grease, Animal House, The Empire Strikes Back, Halloween 3, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, Beetlejuice, Ace Ventura, Mad Max Fury Road, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> that's
1: uh, that's quite a selection.
0: Yeah, most, most definitely. So, yeah, between these three guys, they've done uh, tons and tons and tons of stuff um, that, you know, is pretty familiar to to most of us. And then uh, the sound editors, uh, yeah, the only thing I had written about most of these guys, I couldn't find any uh, particularly interesting information about most of these guys, but I just really liked the name of the sound editor. His name is Kendrick P. Sweet, <laughs> which I, it seemed like most of his credits was just Kendrick Sweet, which I can imagine why you wouldn't be <laughs> wouldn't be credited as P. Sweet. Um, but yeah, that's a, that was another awesome name along with, uh, what was
1: the other one? Rock
0: Rock Walker. <laughs> uh rock walker and kendrick p Sweet. this sounds like a like a detective show
1: I, uh, yeah they should be a duo <laughs> uh,
0: somebody make this happen <laughs>
1: it's um, not too late
0: <laughs> but uh yeah so that's basically the rest of the sound department um the only other interesting thing i had about that was that uh it's interesting that alan Howarth is not credited who um is pretty important to this movie and for
1: he's not credited at all.
0: No, not, not well, for anything,
1: which is, that which, surprises me.
0: Yeah. It's shocking to me. Cause I mean, and he, he's all over the behind the scenes stuff for this movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he, he had a big role in you know, doing a lot of the extra music with Carpenter for this movie stuff that, to add on to the Marconi stuff. And yeah, it was shocking to me that he didn't get a credit, but obviously he, um, he went on to have a a pretty long career and worked on, I think he worked on almost every most of the Halloween franchise and he did the music himself for like number four or five. I can't remember which one. Yeah,
1: I I think it was four. It might have been four. I don't know. It might it might have even been more than one of them. But uh, yeah, I I have to wonder if him not having a credit was just out of respect, I guess, for Morcone.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, He was such a big name and they were so happy to have him aboard. And then he didn't quite deliver what they wanted. So they had, you know. They had to kind of rework things.
0: Yeah, that's true. Maybe it was something like that. Yeah, it was just interesting because he's such a pivotal player in John Carpenter's world. Like consistently, he shows up in pretty much everything. And uh, and yeah, and, and obviously played a pretty big role in this movie. But yeah, is nowhere to be found in the credits. So, and then uh, we get the Matt photography and uh, tech advisor. So th- this one was kind of interesting. It's uh, on the credits. It says tech advisor, and then in parentheses it says Juno uh, for Dr. Maynard M. Miller. Uh, and I looked him up and he was actually, uh, the founder of the Juno Icefield Research Program, which is something that still is going on today where basically, um, science students, uh, science majors in college can go to this, uh, the Juno Icefields and there's like a place for them to stay and do their research while they go out on the ice and, and, you know, do stuff, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he he re, he just recently died and it was like there's a whole website about the Juno Ice Field Research Program and you know there's a like a major outpouring when he, when he passed away so
1: I had no idea.
0: I'd be curious to know what he was what he did for this movie exactly. Maybe I'm guessing maybe they asked him about like how far the uh UFO would be buried maybe.
1: Yeah, um, he had to have been some kind of consultant on the uh, science of the stuff.
0: Which is funny because it seems like most of the science in this movie is pretty bogus. <laughs> so I'm wondering if they, they had him give his advice and then they just totally ignored it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, wouldn't be surprised and it wouldn't be the first time that's happened.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, that one stood out. That was, I thought that was kind of interesting. And then we get a music editor and computer graphics who, I think I brought this up way back when we talked about the computer simulation that it says in the credits, it says computer graphics by motion graphics, which is a weird like credit. (laughs) But, um, I think that that was actually a guy named John wash who, um, did a whole, he did a, I know he did the opening credits for, um, escape from New York and all the like computer simulation stuff in that as well. And it's had a, sounds like he's had a pretty big impact on like, uh, credit or title creation and and stuff like that too. So there's, i found some articles about him on like art of the title.com and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of cool. And, We've got a DGA trainee, which is a trainee for the Directors Guild uh, of America. Uh, Bruce Humphrey. So uh, that was another one where I was like, "Oh, he was the trainee, so let's let's take a look and see if uh, <laughs> see if his career took off." And he's done okay.
1: Well, it's better than nothing, I guess.
0: Yeah, he's he's done. Pre- he's he's not, he hasn't directed his own stuff yet, I don't think, or much. But he has done a lot of first assistant directing um, for a, a whole bunch of TV shows. So um, I guess it worked out okay. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be pretty interesting to be the trainee for a movie like this, where they're like, all right, we're flying up to uh, to the ice in British Columbia. Like, you're, are you ready? <laughs> it's probably not what he was expecting. And then uh, the synthesizer sound, it, it, which is a funny credit. That's a credit you only get like in the 80s. <laughs> That's Synth- true. Synthesizer sound by Craig Harris, who um, I brought up uh, earlier in the show. He was the one who came up with the method to do the, uh, the way that the thing screams, like when Benning screams or when Norris is get, Norris gets burned and screams, which is like, um, I think that he took he recorded a whole bunch of different people screaming and then, kind of mixed them together and then played them through like a sampler at different different pitches at the same time or something like that. Um, so yeah, that was his his claim to fame: synthesizer sound. That's
1: that's pretty amazing though.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It makes you think about just the way movies... Uh, I, I don't know if they're still made like this, really, but, um, you know, with a movie like this, I can imagine the other... Because there's already, like, 10 people on the sound crew, post-production sound crew, who are already doing stuff like this. And they just I don't know if they just couldn't figure it out or, like, somebody had a friend like, hey, let's get that guy to bring his synthesizer in here. Like, you know, I'm curious to know how that actually played out, how he got involved, because that's the only thing he did for the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, well, I feel like... Your hypothesis sounds like it could be pretty accurate. Like <laughs> he was brought in later, but I mean, at least they credited him either way.
0: Yeah, which is kind of surprising. Given you know, Alan Howarth doesn't get a credit, but, <laughs> but this guy gets. Well, a credit. you know, he's
1: not uh, he's not that important. <laughs> <laughs> but um,
0: yeah, and then this this minute ends right at the end of it. There's another set of credits, but I'll uh, I'll save that for the next minute to uh, keep us uh, keep us rolling. But yeah, so basically just rolling through all the. The uh, the crew here, and we got our first woman, and then most of the uh, the sound guys and camera guys for this one. Yeah, we um, we haven't gotten to the the bulk of the credits, which is the makeup department, right? Um, which obviously is you know that's like now when you see a movie, and there's like 18 pages of uh, of CGI artists. This movie, that's clearly where the bulk of the crew was was uh, working for Rob Teen in his makeup studio. So um, yeah, I think that'll probably probably do us for minute 105. So yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming back and uh
1: and No problem. It's been a pleasure.
0: Kind of finishing up the movie.
1: Yeah, you gotta finish what you start, you know. That's right. But um I mean it was it was cool to be on the podcast and uh you know, I adore this movie and I think I can say that I learned a lot about the thing that I did not already know. A lot of your research was totally new to me, and I actually think it was probably good that I went in um, without having done my own additional research, because it it was interesting to find out all of this stuff as I went along.
0: Yeah, there's c- certainly a lot of stuff that I learned as well. But I'm I'm very sad that you already knew about Walt Disney's final words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just so weird. That's something. It's one of those things that I almost have to know because it's too weird for me to not be.
0: <laughs> that one was – that was probably the most bizarre thing I learned uh, overall uh, doing this whole podcast. When I when I read that yesterday, I, I had to call my wife in. I was like, you have to read this. Tell me I'm not like making this up.
1: Yeah, I actually – I had read it somewhere before. Uh, I remember discussing it with my friend saying, hey, did you know <laughs> – and he also was like, yeah. <laughs>
0: and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> That's so bizarre. But uh yeah, so on that note, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap this one up and uh finish the week up. So this is our last full week of the podcast. We've only got uh, uh I think four minutes left. So and uh, just of the uh last remaining credits. So that'll wrap up the uh the last full week of the show. And if you wanna uh support the show and you like it, then you can go to uh thethingminute.com slash Amazon. And from there, it'll uh, it'll just take you right to the homepage of Amazon and anything you buy, a small percentage of that uh, gets forwarded on to the podcast. So we really appreciate the people who have done that. And uh, you can also donate directly just by going to thethingminute.com and using the donate button at the bottom of the site. Um, so every little bit that anybody has done is uh, greatly appreciated and makes a big difference. So yeah, everybody, uh, make sure to check out Zach's books. I'm going to post those on the site as well, obviously. So check that out and then uh, have a great weekend. And if you're still human by Monday, make sure to come back for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to StarWarsMinute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.